0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Today hey, we have a fairly interesting program. It's about food, but more importantly, it's about small business. Uh, uh, thanks to Susie Tim, who is a founder of a company that I find uh, whose title I find extremely um, interesting, ha- has brought together uh, three three uh, interesting companies in the food industry, and I. Uh, ask them to join us, because a lot of the things they face, um, our audience um, also face, because they're they're basically small businesses. So um, without further ado, I'm first going to ask Susie Tim, founder of, I love this title, Girl Meets Fork, Marketing and Media, to tell us a little bit about her personal background. Well, thank you. We have a very unusual program today. We we have a, a group of ladies. Someone uh emailed me the other day and said I don't have enough uh women entrepreneurs on the program. Well, today we have 5. So I'm really happy to uh, to answer at least one email. But uh I also want to say at this time that each of them uh followed up from a, from a show uh we attended for the pro uh, press, and uh, I keep emphasizing this in all of our our discussions on on radio when we talk to people, and say follow-up is the key to success, and and these women today are here because of that. Uh, To start it off, and it's going to be a panel discussion, and I hope uh, we'll get uh, a lot of information out of it. I certainly know I'll I'll learn a lot, but first we're, we're, we're going to start with with Valerie, who's going to introduce herself and tell tell us about her unusual approach to this.
2: Hi, Don. Thank you so much for having us today. My name is Valerie Guerrero, and I'm the founder of the Artisan Group. Um, We are an entertainment marketing organization based out of Northern California. Uh, And what we do is we're on a mission to introduce Hollywood, uh, specifically celebrities in Hollywood, actresses, actors, for the best of the handcrafted movement. And we do it by pro- providing owners of artists and businesses the chance to introduce their products to celebrities, industry leaders, VIPs, members of the press, such as yourself, uh, for participating in celebrity gift lounges. Um, and we also have, uh, we also work exclusively with many costume designers on hit television shows that we provide products for. So. Um, these, it's a collaborative approach to participate in, in celebrity gift lounges, and it's a marketing opportunity that would be prohibitively expensive for most companies, um, and it's surprisingly affordable through the artisan group.
1: Okay, and uh, and you brought with us to the studio here uh, s- some of your artisans. So, I
3: did.
1: okay, so now I'm going to start, uh, I guess, with Ruthie Youngman. Uh, yes. Love your bling. I like that title. Yes.
3: That's um, me. Yes. Love your bling.
1: Okay, Rita. Uh, tell us. Go ahead. It's okay.
3: Um, I specialize in um, crystal jewelry. I joined uh, the artisan group last October and have part- been participating in these uh, variety of events and television sorry television show giftings. But primarily, my work is, is jewelry design, and I've been running my small Uh, jewelry design business on I started out on Etsy and now am working on my own love your bling site well
1: what's a bling
3: it's (laughs) a bling it's crystal lots of crystal lots of crystal I'm actually a Swarovski crystal authorized branding partner which means that they have verified that I use Swarovski crystals in the majority of my designs and have allowed me to use that in part of my titles when creating some of my designs
1: oh okay so let's uh, let's go now to Me- Megan Workman. Oh.
4: Hi, yes, Megan. Go ahead. Yeah, Megan. I am the owner and designer of MegsBrokenWings.com, and I too make jewelry. Uh, it's more geared inspirational, with the majority having uh, a signature wing theme, so that it kind of goes with the name of my
1: business. Okay. Uh, our, our next one, Julie Cleveland, Blue Morning Expressions. I, I love these titles, by the way. I'm going to e- ask each of you how you came up with the title. But first, uh, uh, go on, Julie.
0: Um, that's okay. Uh, I create handmade beads of polymer clay, which is not really clay. It is a PVC compound, and I use those beads to create my own finished jewelry. And they're very colorful, and they're Um, created with a plasticizer so they're very sturdy and they'll last forever. But I also use those beads to sell to other jewelry designers through my website. And in addition to that, I design cross-stitch patterns and zoom patterns based on my photography and my artwork.
1: And our uh, last panelist is Karen Foster, like mother, like daughter. Did I miss somebody? Hello?
2: I'm not sure Karen's joined us.
1: Lenny? Who have I missed? I I think the
2: four of us are here. Okay. I believe there's there's four of us in total today.
1: Okay. Then we'll go go on. I thought there was a fifth person joining us, and that's my fault. Um, uh, you know, uh, my first question, and, I, and I'll um, go go back to Valerie for this one is, why did you start your own business?
2: That's a great question. I, I, have, I started the Artisan Group nearly four years ago. Um, I've always been a big advocate for handmade products, but I am also uh, a graphic designer. That's what my background has been um, for my, most of my career. And I, I noticed on social media one day there was a competitor of mine that had uh, photos of someone holding their stationery, and it was a celebrity. And I thought, oh my gosh, that would be fantastic if I could do that. How, how can I do that? did a little research, found out it was between between dollars and $20,000 to do something like that on your own, which is there's no way a small business can typically do that by themselves. Valerie, so here, you're going to have to
1: talk up a little louder.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, I was I was a little bummed that I couldn't afford something like that on my own, so I thought, you know, why, why don't I get a whole bunch of people together where we can all split the cost and then I can still get my designs out there and I can help out others also that are in the same – financial situation as I am, not being able to pr- afford something like this on my own, uh, and then we can all kind of uh, introduce our products to the celebrities at these events, and we can all get celebrity photos, but we won't all have to pay ten dollars or $20,000. So that's how it was kind of born. It was never my intention at that time that this would grow into a pretty large organization, um, but it has. And it's grown to the point where I really don't have time to do my own graphic design anymore. I just I manage. 100% of my time goes towards the artisan group at this point.
1: Well, okay, Ruthie, why did you start your business?
2: Well, um, originally
3: I had started out painting um, wooden shoes. Uh, they were called Dr. Scholl exercise sandals, and. Um, when I was looking for bling to add to the shoes, I ran across Swarovski crystals and the charms and things, and I decided to make a few designs. And as I shared them around my office, I'm actually a licensed clinical social worker by day, um, a lot of my coworkers started to ask me for custom designs. So I started doing that for them, and it turned into um, bridal designs, custom bridal wear, and opened up my shop on Etsy, and it's been going ever since. And I've now been able to turn the business from a hobby into a part-time business.
1: When you say Etsy, what is Esty?
3: Etsy? Etsy, E T S Y. It's a handmade marketplace where uh, a lot of handmade artisans are able to get started at a low cost. And I was able to do that, um, get my products out there. They help with marketing and things like that. But now I've managed to grow out of that a little bit.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, M- Megan?
4: Yes. Uh, my business didn't really start out as a business. It was really a hobby for myself. And um, it was a artistic outlet for my personal time. And I started to realize that... Um, I had so much product that really was beyond anything I could wear personally or even give away. I just had tons of it. So it it started to look like it was really marketable, so I sought out venues to sell. And being that uh, my handmade jewelry was for my personal time, because I do work full time, I found online to be one of the best avenues for me to take. Uh, I, I too started out on Etsy.com, and I transitioned into my own standalone site, com. And we have a variety of different techniques that are on the site. We um, I do personalized pendants. I do wing themes. It's just really. I just get into the creative moment, and I just start going. And when you start learning more and more techniques, it's just you just come up with more and more. So that's really what makes up the majority of my site.
1: Okay. Julie?
0: Well, I started, um, I've always been creative, and I started into the polymer arts after we had a few hurricanes in Florida and we had no power, and I ended up at the library looking for something to read. And I ran across the polymer art um, so I thought, well, I can do that. Well, once everything settled down, um, I started making my own beads, and I started doing the show circuits in Florida up and down the coast. And I had my website over 10 years ago, so it was already established. I didn't be long before Etsy. So I started on my own website selling my own beads and things from the very beginning. Well, um, this is, now
1: this is fascinating. So i'll go back to, to Valerie to start well no i'm going to go back to Ruthie um, yeah. love your bling yeah. what have you you what have you found found to be um uh, the best opportunities you You're all started out as craftspeople you're all uh into a, an area where there are literally hundreds of thousands about millions of um uh, men and women like yourself. When you went out there, what did you find uh, as the opportunity and what do you find as the difficulties in being an artist? Well,
3: I, I have to say with the jewelry business, there is a huge amount of competition, and it's very difficult to stand out, especially on a site like Etsy where you know somebody can log in and, and search for any type of jewelry, and you're going to find millions upon millions of, of listings with similar items. And for me, um, I started out creating kind of a niche. I started out with um, specializing in these little, tiny, miniature teacups. And so I really built on that. I got a lot of attention from the site itself. I was featured in a couple articles. I was featured on their front page. And I sort of ran with that niche. Um, Now, moving into the bridal jewelry, it was a little bit more difficult because there was a a lot more um, competition in that area. But for me, the most important thing was customer service. I responded quickly to emails and convers- uh, questions from my customers. I quickly um, shipped my products so that I was getting a lot of positive feedback, and that's when I think has helped me stand out the most overall for my feedback has been just my quick shipping and um, having positive feedback from my customers has just been remarkable, and I've shipped to over now, nearly over 30 countries worldwide. So I think that's what's helped me stand out in this really competitive um, area of jewelry.
1: Well, that's very interesting because one of the things in our research and uh, what little I know about the uh, uh, the creative artist niche is the fact that uh, oftentimes they don't do good customer service. They don't answer pro- properly. Yet you seem to have built a business on it.
3: Yes. Yes, that's been, um, for me, I've always felt whatever I would expect from purchasing something online or even in a store, working retail in my younger years, I would want that same sort of uh, respect and integrity, you know, to give back to my customers. And I've really built my business on that.
1: Uh, Megan, uh, do you want to comment on that and uh, how you you handle your uh, customer relations?
4: Definitely being very personable with customers, I found to uh, really helped with gaining the positive feedback to even have shoppers actually come back and give you that feedback because they don't necessarily need to. They purchase they receive their item, but the more personal you are with them, that that it kind of generates a relationship to where they want they want to come back, they want to say how much they love it, how much they enjoy it, how they can see you know how much love and attention you gave the item that they received because it is handmade and there's a connection usually between buyers and sellers.
1: Well, Julie, you want to chime in on this subject?
0: Yes. um, Online sales are so much different than selling in person. So you have to sell the product to your customers, which means that you need to have good photography and you need to be open to suggestions and conversations with them. And I think part of my website is, is more personable because I have a Um, a dog, and we talk about these products that we we have, um, how they're made, and I'm open to talking to customers prior to the sale. And I treat it like, you know, they would be at my booth in a show. So, you know, you have to give them good customer service because they have nothing to touch.
1: Well, Valerie, you've totally changed how you, uh, your business how do you find new people to represent?
2: Well, I, I would have to agree with uh, all the points that Megan, Ruthie, and Julie made. It's, it's Customer service is very critical. Um, for me, uh, my organization is a very an exclusive organization. It's by invitation only. Uh, it is a juried organization. And what that means is, is that I personally look through every application that comes through our website and decide whether or not that person would be a good fit, uh, whether their product offerings would be a good fit for the events that we're recruiting for, some of the stylist opportunities that we have on television. Uh, and only about 30% of those applicants make the cut. So uh, you know, I, I don't really spend a whole lot of time recruiting um, because it's, at this point, after four years, it's word of mouth. I have many, many testimonials from our members that have been very successful working with the artisan group and getting their, their products on television. Uh, and getting photographs of their products with celebrities that, you know, it's word of mouth at this point. I have people that apply just by hearing their colleagues, their peers, maybe their competitors that are using the Artisan Group as a vehicle to market their, their products. So I, I rely heavily on, on word of mouth. Uh, and the good work that the Artisan Group has done in helping promote, but you know, one of the other challenges that I personally have, I don't have a product offering that I, that I handcraft myself. My, my job is running the organization. Uh, I find that the biggest challenge for me is finding a balance, and, and many of your listeners will, will concur that when you own your own business or you run your own business, you're wearing every hat in an organization. You're the marketing guy, you're the uh, salesperson. you do all the social media, you do all the customer service, you follow up on all of the emails, you're the project manager, you do all of this by yourself. So balancing your time between your personal life and your work life can sometimes be a real challenge. So I struggle with that every day and I try to only respond to emails after hours if it's, if it's mission critical. Um, but that's definitely something that's super hard when you own your own business.
1: Well, Julie, how do you balance your life as an entrepreneur and as an artist?
0: Um, I started out with a five-year plan, and I am a note-taker and a task-driven person, so everything that I do is written down, either future plans or today, you know, I scheduled a radio call-in, and everything is marked off my list as I go. But that frees me up for... Um, any disasters that might happen, like a website crash. Um, So I have, you know, my rest of my year planned and new products included.
1: I wish I could say that. (laughs) I wish I could say I could write things down. Obviously, I don't. (laughs) uh, Megan, what about you? You're with Broken Wings. Uh, How do you balance the two?
4: Well, in the beginning, it was really difficult because it being a hobby and, and never owning a business before, um, it was very overwhelming. But what I just did was um, continue continuous education. I needed to find out how to make a website successful. I had to learn about the SEOs or the search engine optimization. I had to learn how to tags, to draw online shoppers in through Google, and after about, it was about a two-year period that it really started to calm down. I really felt like I knew what I was doing. Um, but I still, I, I learn every day, and the more I learn, the more traffic I bring to my site. And work is work, you know, 9 to 5, and the rest of the time I really
3: play with my kids and make jewelry.
1: <laughs> well, that only leaves you, Ruthie. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah you know, this is definitely something that i struggle with um even even to this day i 've been doing this for almost six years now, and uh, as I said, I started out working full time in another completely different industry and so bridging into doing this on a, even a part time basis has been incredibly taxing on myself and my family um we've you know it's been definitely a challenge to i'm still am learning how to schedule time and schedule things and i i've had to um turn off my store, turn off my website and things to, just so that I won't respond because I'm just so quick to every email, every message. I don't like my customers to wait. I'd I like to be on it. I like to answer their questions. Um, but for a family, that doesn't work out so well. So I definitely have tried to um, schedule more time, schedule time off from you know being a, available around the clock. And it's true. Like Valerie said, with a business like this, uh, I mean, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It just never ends. But I will say that having, after having joined the Artisan Group, um, I have learned so much from the other members as far as business and how to run a business and what to do and what not to do, that that really has helped me tremendously on getting more organized.
1: And then uh, your website?
3: Yes, loveyourbling.com.
1: www.loveyourbling. Spell it out. This is radio.
3: At www.lov. Y O U R B L I N G . C O M Love your bling
1: See I would have put a L O V E See Oh
3: did I say it wrong? L O V E Y O U R B L I N G
1: Okay, I just wanted to make sure.
3: Thank you. Uh, no, I appreciate that. No, definitely no. loveyourbling.com.
1: Okay, we're going to go back back to Val- Valerie. Uh, those three ladies have just giving you a big commercial. But uh, what, what are some of uh, the obstacles you've faced?
2: The obstacles we face within the artisan group.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think that some of the challenges that we face at some time. No, no, no that
1: you face running the art- oh, artisan.
2: Oh I face. Oh my goodness. Well, time. I wish I had. I wish I had six assistants. To be honest, uh, or more hours in the day. Uh I I manage 4 to 6 big events per year from beginning to end I I begin planning each event 4 to 5 months in advance and simultaneously we are working with costume designers for television shows so at any moment in time I could have two events going on at once plus we're also sourcing products for two or three different television shows so for me, it's critical that when I get the information out to the members, that everyone reviews everything and, and um, is able to follow along with the deadlines and, and receiving products on time and that kind of thing. That, that's a bit of a, a challenge sometimes, but you know, for the most part, the members do a great job in making sure that they uh, manage their time well and are able to get their products in on time. and. If you get your products in on time, then I'm able to get the products back to the to the television studios. So it all works out really well.
1: Well, let's go a little deeper into that. Um, a television show uh, uh, comes to you. Do they want jewelry? Do they want shoes? What is it that they want from you and, and your members?
2: That's a great question. We we do send out when we when we send out our pitches to the TV studios. We say, hey, you know, we have members that create bath and body products. We have members that create little um, uh, clothing for children. Um, We also have jewelry, obviously. We have accessories, scarves, members that make scarves and that kind of thing. What would be the best fit for you? What are you looking for to, to dress your actors and actresses? And then they will come back with, hey, we're looking for this, we're looking for bracelets, we're looking for scarves, we're looking for knitted hats. And then from that list, I take it back to the members and say, hey, you know, this television show is looking for these products. If you're interested, here's where you can book your spot. And then we just go from there.
1: Okay. Um, but, uh, for instance, would a show come to you if a, uh, an earring uh, is needed uh, for a crime show? Uh, but it's distinctive they would come to you and say we're looking for a distinctive hearing?
2: We have had some some specific requests. Uh, Sometimes we're able to help them out and sometimes we just may not have exactly what they're looking for. Um, In fact I just got an email this morning from the Vampire Diaries and they sent us a picture of a bracelet and they said do you have anyone that could make a bracelet that kind of looks like this? So As soon as I get off this call, I will be sending out uh, a message to all the members saying, hey, we have uh, a specific visual of a bracelet. Can anybody make something that looks kind of like this? So, you know, it does happen. It just depends on what their specific need is at that moment.
1: Yeah. Well, Ruthie, let's go back to you, and let's talk about a family balancing family. Uh, Is your family involved in the uh, business
3: um, well, my husband has helped build my website, loveyourbling.com, and he's done a very good job of that and maintaining that. So he's my tech support, and he also ships my packages. So I package everything up, and he takes them to the post office, which is a big help to me. But for the most part, I do everything myself, um, designing, listing, photographing, uh, marketing, everything I, I've done myself so far. I'm looking into possibly adding an assistant but I have up to this point done everything myself and so my family um, I think it's very difficult for them to understand that this is a business I think they're still kind of uh, they still treat it kind of like a hobby that uh, I'm just kind of having fun up there with my jewelry and all my beads and things like that I don't think they understand necessarily the gravity of of all that I have going on and all that I'm balancing and that's really hard to um, express to them
1: well um, are you profitable now?
3: Yes, thankfully, yes, I am. Um, I am, but uh, for still, for some reason, it just looks like I'm having fun. <laughs> when I've got all my beads and crystals, it just looks like fun. Um, I have two little boys, and so they, just, they kind of have their space in my studio where they, uh, I have my older son, he's eight, he's actually kind of given me some tips on a couple designs, which has been quite fun when I've done some specific television shows um, and gifting for them and he kind of gives me his input which i appreciate.
1: Oh. oh now we'll go to begin. Well, cool. first off, what's your website?
4: Uh, mine is www.megsbrokenwings.com. M E G S B R O K E N W I N G S.
1: Okay. Well, what about you? How do you balance life and the uh, art and the uh, business?
4: Well, as far as my hobby, um, I have my workstation essentially in the center of my house. So I can watch the kids play, and I can sit there and drink coffee. I can brainstorm and come up with ideas. And there definitely always is a time for making jewelry, and there, there is a time for family. So you just have to make that
0: separation.
1: Okay. Julie, what about you? You have a dog I know.
0: Yes, I do. And that's the name of our website, BlueMorningExpressions.com. His name is Blue Morning, so it's B-L-U-M-O-R-N-I-N-G-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S.com. And my husband is about two months from retirement. And he builds hot rods. So he's pretty busy out in the garage, and I'm kind of free to do whatever I need to do to create, or run all of the other aspects of my business because I do it all, you know, from the beginning to the end. I am my
1: own employee. Well, does it get lonely at occasion?
0: Um, I set aside the evenings and the weekends for him, so we do, you know, um, we do spend uh, quite a bit of, time together and since I've been doing this for over ten years everything is well established and running quite smoothly in the first couple years it was rather hectic as I was rebuilding and and setting up things but um, I try to add a product line every year so that has branched off into a couple other websites but um, they're pattern downloads so there's really no maintenance involved in that and all they do is just buy them and download them but as far as making the beads I have beads
1: everywhere (laughs) we're back to you Valerie what's your website
2: our website is theartisangroup.org t-h-e-a-r-t-i-s-a-n g-r-o-u-p dot org and just to kind of piggyback off what some of the gals said you, you had posed the question does it get lonely sometimes I think that's one of the great things about the artisan group in that it does bring together Hundreds and hundreds of these artisans that um, maybe they uh, run their business as a supplemental income. Maybe they also work full time and they say handcraft jewelry on the side. Maybe some of them, as as a lot of these gals here today, uh, this is their full time business. So sometimes it can get a little lonely when you're running your own business and you don't have that social coworker meet up in the break room kind of environment. Um, the artisan group does have uh, a little group that we have all gathered in that we network with each other, and we share resources, and we give opinions about products. And what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And how should I package that? And you would think, you know, you know, the stereotype is, oh, a bunch of women will be catty and not support one another, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, we have a very positive environment for our, the artisans in our group and everyone is very supportive and they cheer each other on and they're always having each other's back and self, you know, cross-promoting with each other um, and it's, it's a really great place for them to have that social aspect of kind of having a coworker to work alongside with.
1: Well, um, I'll start with you. What advice would you give someone who's starting out or for that matter who's uh, been working out a couple of years what have you learned that you'd look, like to pass on?
2: For me personally, I would say if you're going to go into business for yourself, the, one of your biggest uh, assets is going to be your brand. Spend time building your brand. Spend a little bit of money hiring someone that can actually create a fantastic overall brand for you, and that includes your logo. That includes your social media avatars. That includes you know, how you craft your tweets. Build an entire brand for yourself um, so that everything, all the look and feel of your logo and even your color schemes within your, within your brand is all consistent and flows through from, from uh, your Facebook page to your Twitter page to your Instagram page. Make sure that branding is solid and you stick with it. Mm.
1: Ruthie, you, what, mm-hmm. what would you uh, say to someone who's starting out or in business that you've learned
3: Oh, well, definitely I gr- agree with Valerie on the branding aspect, but it's also just educating yourself, just constantly getting as much education you can about small business, you know, the legal aspects, trademark. Um, things that I kind of overlooked in the beginning and now um and and slowly working into my business, but uh learning about business plans and all the things that I think sometimes an artist forgets about um just because it's not really their you know their expertise, but to get help if you don't know to get help or hire someone that's going to help you with that aspect
1: that's very good advice megan uh what would you say well
4: as far as uh my business background, I essentially didn't have any, and because my business is going to be primarily online, I really needed to educate myself on how people could find me so it's a it's a constant updating sequence as far as um, tags and um, search specific items for people to find, or they won't find you at all so being consistent with some of your tags so that they're always the same when people look for you, as well as something that is always going to find that type of item, you know, search words and whatnot that people would plug into Google so that you can pop up. That was um, the biggest thing I worked on the past couple years. And since I've done that, the traffic to my site is more than quadrupled. Okay.
1: Matt, Julie. You get. To, what about you? What have you learned that you'd pass on?
0: Um, when I started this, because I have a business background, I treated this like a business in the very beginning. And I would suggest doing a five-year plan in the very beginning and reading everything you can possibly find and get your hands on to learn how to set up a business. And the first thing I did was create an employee manual, not that I had any employees but me, But I needed something in writing, because I am task-oriented, to follow every time I had an order, if I ever got an order. And I've been doing the newsletter for over 10 years, every month, religiously, whether I had anyone to give it to or not. So it's kind of like you have to set um, your standards and you have to set your your, uh, business up. Uh, with using you know the same type of techniques that a corporation would use. And the other thing is is that you have to be consistent and I am not good with the branding part of it. And my brand has bounced all over the place in 10 years because my business has changed. So now I'm always learning that. So you need to have that solid in the beginning as well. But I'm with everybody else. you know you just keep learning as you go. and I've been doing websites since the mid 90s. So I have a background in website design, but that was before Google. So now I'm learning and changing and keeping up on all of the marketing and SEO opportunities that are available. And I just wish I had more time.
1: Well, we're back to you, Valerie. Your website again, and any last thoughts you'd like to make?
2: Uh, our website is theartisangroup.org. Uh, last thought. I have a question.
1: I... Yes. Let me interrupt you. How did you get the .org?
2: Well, it's an organization. Uh, When I started this company, I did not foresee that it would become a business, per se. I I really, you know, my entire vision for the company or the organization was that it would be just an organization. Uh, I didn't know to what extent, but I didn't really think it was going to become a full-blown company as it is today. Uh so the, and and also the dot com was taken, so <laughs> I didn't <have> no choice. <laughs> so the dot org was born and it was a good fit anyway. I think it's a better fit for us to be an organization than a dot com.
1: I, I think it's a terrific no, I think it's terrific. Um if I could figure a way to do it, I I always recommend co- companies come up with something besides dot com. Right. But anyway, I interrupted you. Please finish.
2: Oh. I would just say, you know, my, any of the last words that I have about uh, being a, a small business entrepreneur is, you know, uh, be positive, and uh, there's always going to be people that will try to say, you know, maybe this isn't good for you, and, and just be true to your dream, and keep pushing, and don't ever let anyone say you can't do it, because you absolutely can.
1: Well, that's terrific. We'll go back to Ruthie for a final thought, and your website.
3: My website, again, is loveyourbling.com. And um, I think, yes, I, I agree with, with Valerie. You know, I, I've had a lot of people kind of say that this wasn't really going to be a business or that I was kind of wasting my time. But, um, you know, I've had some doors closed here and there, but I know that everyone has been an opportunity to something else, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, I just, you know, for any artisan out there that is looking to um, start their business, I say go for it. Go for it. Educate yourself, but go for it.
1: That's great advice. Megan?
4: Yeah, I would have to say, um, as far as running a business, you you really need to have a support system. And mine essentially started with my family, my husband, though he doesn't help out any. (laughs) He definitely supports everything that I do. So I always had that solid foundation, and that was a good thing. Uh, when I joined the artisan group, was the support system. It just built on top of that. So anytime you felt like you couldn't, you always had somebody saying you could. So you always had that
1: reassurance. And Julie, you get to say the last word.
0: Um, I would suggest don't follow terms. I would suggest do your own thing and do what's comfortable for you and whatever is in your heart to do. And when the opportunities are presented to you. Take advantage of as many of them as you possibly can, such as the Artisan Group. Um, they present so many opportunities for us to, you know, get the exposure that we would not be getting. Even if it's nothing more to say that I did this, I gave to the Primetime Image QBK Hosting Lounge. You know, it's all part of your overall
1: package.
0: So take advantage of those things that you can participate in.
1: And uh, your website again?
0: It is Bloom
1: Morning com. All right. Ladies, thank you t- today. Uh, I know I, l- I learned a lot. And uh, uh, what can I say? You're, uh, you're uh, as good a businesswoman as you are uh, artists. Thank you all. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, us, you. thank, you, thank
2: you,
1: Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, come back again in the new year, and we'll talk further sounds great.
0: Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com.
1: Recently, I took a count, and I get over 700 emails a day. And I timed myself and found that I was spending far too much time looking at my emails. So I was really happy when uh, across my desk came a message about Dave Baggett. He's a CEO of a company that uh, helps uh, individuals and companies reduce their uh, reliance and usage of emails. Dave, welcome to the program.
5: Thanks a lot, Don. Great to be here.
1: Well, I hope you can t- teach our audience, and certainly me, how to. Uh, better handle this uh, overwhelming flood of emails. But, but, but before we do anything else, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself personally, because our audience always likes to know a little bit about the person that they're hearing from.
5: Sure. I'm a techie. I've been a uh, programmer since I was a little kid. I was one of those fortunate few that even back in the 70s had a personal computer, and I took to it at a young age. Uh, I've degrees in computer science and and actually in linguistics as well. And and you'll see that will come into play with my background later. Um, I went to University of Maryland and MIT. Uh, I actually wrote a video game along with a few other people called Crash Bandicoot, which was a big game for the Sony PlayStation. Uh, Then I went on to found a company called ITA Software, which probably few people have heard of, but it powers a lot of the airline websites it does the travel search for airline sites and intermediaries like kayak and orbits and now i'm doing uh, inky which is a new email app the goal is to make it so that your email app actually understands what your mail is about and helps you deal with it better so you're not spending so much time on those 700 emails every day
1: well uh, that's good news but um Uh, Tell me, uh, give us a little background on how we now handle um, emails and what we're doing wrong. Well, everything that's happening now is manual. So if you think about the tool
5: that you use to triage your inbox, it's pretty much the same as it's been for the last 20 years. Whether you use Outlook or Gmail or Inky or anything else, they're all very similar to the tools that we had decades ago, but if you look at the sender side, the people who are producing mail that comes into your inbox, they're a lot more sophisticated. And so now you have these companies like MailChimp that help companies send out enormous volumes of mail and engage with customers at some level, but also fill up their inboxes. And so it's not uncommon for the average person to get tens or hundreds of emails from social services or daily deal companies and And the only way to deal with that for most people is to, one at a time, go through their inbox and either delete or mark read or move things. And it's it's very tedious. And I was sort of on the leading edge of this when I was the COO at my previous company and I was getting 800 to 1,000 messages a day. And it really struck me that there's a need for improving the the tools that the end users have uh, in dealing with their inboxes.
1: Okay, um, but w- what are the next steps? For instance, uh, I'm a newsman, and I get uh, queries and everything. Um, uh, and uh, uh, in particular, what really writes me is when they say Ray, R. E. Uh, um, colon, and then they say uh, uh, John Smith of Appointment, and uh, um, uh, they, I've never had. Uh, any contact with them before. I mean, how does your system or or how do people deal with this? So keep, keep, keep going. Uh, I'd much rather have you talk than me. Sure. So one of the ways that
5: we're improving things is we're making the mail program understand things about the message, that the, each message that comes in. So, for example, a message that's from a person, read John Smith, Um, We know who sent that message, and we know how many times you've emailed that person. We know, for example, how many times you've emailed with that person's organization. So even if we don't know that individual, we might know, well, that's someone from a company that Don has emailed with before. And so these kinds of cues, the sender, the subject, and in some cases the the text in the body of the message can give us a sense of relevance of the message. So we can determine automatically, the program can determine automatically how relevant a message is to you. And in in fact, in in our program, Inky, you can sort by that. So you could put the most relevant stuff at the top and have the spam sink to the bottom. Now, most people are familiar with spam filtering and that's determining relevance, but in a yes, no kind of way. And really it's a very coarse check. So, you know, something that's spam is just really, uh, it's not even intended for you to read, really. With this kind of relevance notion, we're talking about the, the nuances between a timely message from your spouse asking you to get milk on the way home, versus some other work correspondence, versus, as you said earlier, a, you know, a request for an interview or a discussion of some interview that you might do, an unsolicited request. So that's the relevance is one way that the program can help you organize. The other critical way that, that I think is, is people are investing in is also this idea that we can figure out the intent of a message or in some sense what it's about. And there it's things like, well, this message came from Groupon, so it's a daily deal. Or this message includes information about a travel itinerary, so it's probably about an airline flight. In other words, the program, the mail program, begins to be able to understand the contents of messages and then help you organize them uh, on the basis of that. So it could move them to folders for you like we do. Um, It can do things like extract uh, key information. For example, if you get a shipping confirmation, it can go and see that you got a tracking number in there, and it can go and look up the package on the shipper's website and then give you a status right in the preview pane of the package without the user having to click anything or do anything. And so this idea that we're understanding what the messages are about and their intent and extracting what we would call the semantic information, that's a big change that's happening in our our field now, in the email and messaging field.
1: That sounds exciting, but um, uh, how how does your system work, uh, yours and others? Uh, Do I load something onto my computer and then uh, see see it, or how does it work?
5: Yeah, so one of the great things about email is it really is pretty standardized. It's been around for 40-plus years, and the big services generally adhere to the standards, and so we can interoperate with all the mail servers in the world. So to answer your specific question, Inky is an app that you download on your phone or your desktop computer, and you install it, and then you tell it your email address and your password for each account. And then it goes and figures out, using these standards, how to connect to each of the mail servers, and it starts to then retrieve your email and study it. And when I say study it, I mean really it looks at the words in the email and it indexes them for search, um, it also does things like look for package tracking numbers or it looks for addresses and figures out where those points are and produces maps from them and that sort of thing. And so you do have to install something, but you don't need to make a new mail account because fortunately all of these mail servers interoperate with each other, whether you're using Gmail or your work account or an Outlook.com account or, or whatever. Um, Inky can access that through the, through the standard mechanisms.
1: This sounds uh, pretty exciting. Um, how long have you been around? We've been working on this
5: for the last four years or so. Um, I- I've been doing work on text understanding really for my whole career. I studied it in school. And this idea that it's kind of surprising that a computer can look at the words in a message and understand anything, right? But it actually is It is amazing how much this field has progressed. And an example of that is there are research papers on taking emails, for example, the, all the Enron emails that are public because of that court case, and understanding just from the words of the emails what the org chart is of the company, in that case Enron. So it's amazing, but you just using math and looking at the occurrences of words in the messages, you can learn a lot about the contents of the messages and their meaning and their intent. And so. We've been working specifically on applying this kind of research to email for the last four years. Our app has only been out for a few weeks, actually, so it's brand new.
1: Hmm. Well, I know the NSA has been for years using a very sophisticated system. Uh, to, that's why they have to pull all the telephone messages and the email messages and searching through them for patterns. They have a massive... Uh, Uh, program in this, Uh, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Uh, How does yours compare, is it along the same lines as that?
5: I would think so at some level. Obviously I don't know the details of what the intelligence agencies are doing, but I imagine they're using similar kinds of mathematical or statistical techniques and looking for patterns. My guess is that what they're doing is more looking for key phrases or key words where we're trying to actually extract semantic information, meaning contents of the message that might have been created by a program. You know, for example, let's say you bought a package, you bought a product on Amazon and you get a shipping confirmation. That's gonna have information about the product in there. We would like to be able to extract that information so that it's stored in your mail program's database and the mail program knows about what you bought uh, and can help you. Um, with that. Whereas I think, you know, the intelligence agency, they're probably more looking for signals about key events or key individuals. Um, But it's similar technology in the sense that it's all based on occurrences and co-occurrences of words. And for example, the idea that a word like V or A is incredibly common, it doesn't tell you very much, but a more unusual word like radio, that might be much more uh, informative, and especially how that word appears in the context of a larger message or how it co-occurs with other words will tell you a lot about the meaning of a message. I'm sure they do a lot of that stuff.
1: Well, uh, 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 let me ask you another question. Now, I go and and, uh, download Inky. I-N-K-Y, is it? That's right, I-N-K-Y, yep. Dot com? Yep, inky.com. And you can get it
5: in iTunes under InkyMail, but yeah, inky.com.
1: So I go and I take this Inky, I take this app, uh, and I download it onto my computer. I, am I right? That's right, yep. And then I uh, turn it loose. I enter my uh, emails uh, that are coming in, and I turn it loose. Am I hearing you correctly? Essentially, yeah. You just tell it, you know, I have an account which is
5: don at gmail.com or something, and then you tell it the password, and then it starts to retrieve the mail from that account. And then and you it can add as you can you can add as many, many accounts as you want. So then you see them all in a unified inbox. But then,
1: um, uh, the the I happen to I'm I'm not using Outlook. I'm using a different system, uh, a mail uh, thing. Uh, then it just drops it into it, or do I have to set up separate boxes? What do I have to do? You don't have to do anything. I mean, essentially this would replace
5: Outlook um, or the, you know, the Mac mail client that comes with the Mac. You would use this instead of those, and you can actually switch back and forth if you want. Um, but once you've installed Inky and you've told it about your accounts, then it just goes over the internet and connects to your mail servers which are run by your mail providers which could be AOL or Yahoo or Gmail or your mail Mm -hmm. provider could be your company and they're running a server which actually stores your mail and Inky would talk to that server over the internet using these standard protocols and fetch the mail essentially and then store it locally on your computer for analysis.
1: But I would have to If I was using Outlook, I'd have to give up my Outlook and go to yours. You would use ours instead of Outlook. The thing, though, is that most of what you do
5: in Outlook you can also do in Inky. It's, It's quite similar, so you can sort and filter your messages. So one of the challenges that we have when we're trying to change the email experience is preserving enough of that familiarity so that people don't, so that people can still use it if they're used to something they've been using for a long time like Outlook, but we also want to give them new capabilities. So I think if you try, Inky, you'll see it's very familiar and very reminiscent of something like Outlook. It just does more stuff and understands more about the messages than something like Outlook.
1: What about the spam? Uh, how um, How does it recognize spam?
5: So spam, I mean, from a technical standpoint, again, there are... Signals in the message that are things like, you know, even dollar signs appearing in the subject can be a valuable signal, or lots of capital letters, or, you know, misspelling of the word Viagra, I mean, those are really examples of signals that would identify things that are just absolutely spam, and what we do is we construct a model of all these different aspects of every message, and they're called features. And so we figure out, well, what features does this message have? And if it has enough of the spammy features, then we think it's spam. Um, and our model, actually, as I said before, is rather than just deciding whether something is spam or not, we look at these features and say, what do the feature settings, what are the features of this particular message say about how relevant it is, how timely it is, how important it is? And that includes things like, Well, did the person who sent it to you, is that someone in your contact contact list? Or for example, the last time you got mail from that sender, did you immediately delete it? And there are all kinds of behavioral signals like that that we can look at. So spam, essentially for us, instead of being a yes, no, it's more of a ranking criterion where we would think that a spam message, if it had enough of these spammy features, we would think that that message is very low relevance and we would put it at the bottom of the list.
1: Well, let me ask you this question. But now I have a a couple of thousand names in my current uh, file. How do I, uh, you know, uh, because I ought to, how do I get them over into Inky? There's a couple ways. One is that you can export your contact list
5: from the other program and import it into Inky, and we support that with some programs. The other way, which is really easy, is... Enki will just automatically look in your sent mail folder, and it will know everybody you sent mail to, and add them as a contact, and start to look at how many times did you email that person. So it'll start to develop a model of who are the important email addresses in your life, who do you mail a lot, who do you receive mail from, and the ones you receive a lot of mail from, do you reply to those? So. Remember that it's loading all your mail onto your computer and analyzing it, so it actually knows everyone you've mailed and everyone who's mailed you, and it knows something about what you've done with those messages in the past. Although, if you've deleted a message, it may not be able to see it anymore. In some cases, it can. In some cases, it can't. So essentially, it can reconstruct your contact list by looking at your email archive. Well,
1: so uh, I'm a little confused. so bear with me. But um uh you you are um uh, uh I have a system now. Hopefully it's one that you've seen. And um uh I I load Inky, then it somehow or other can talk to the other system. That's right. So that it could... but now uh can I run them concurrently?
5: You can, actually, because what happens when you run something like Outlook or Inky or both at the same time, in fact, what happens is that the the program you're running on your computer, Outlook or Inky, synchronizes with the remote server. So it, it attempts to mirror what's on the remote server by asking the remote server, how many messages are there in this folder? How many folders are there and what are they called? And then what are the flags on each message? and it, it literally tries to, to get all the information from the re- remote server and synchronize so that you have a local copy essentially that matches what's on your remote server. And then your remote server, the one run by your company or the one run by Yahoo or AOL or whoever, that's kind of the master copy and you can have all kinds of replicated sub via these clients like Outlook and Inky. So, it doesn't retrieve the message and then that message is gone from the server. It's simply trying to mirror what's on the server and, and match everything up. And there's, this is what the mail protocols and the standards are designed to allow. They're designed to allow this kind of efficient synchronization between your client, which might be sitting on your desk at work or in your, in your bedroom at home, and the server, which may be in, you know in Mountain View, California, or anywhere else. And it all happens over the
1: internet. Well, I'm uh, I'm looking right now at my, my what what, what uh, my system is, which is not a, a standard system. But anyway, I, I'll worry because I'm definitely going to try it. Uh, I wanted to try it be, uh, before we uh, got on the show, but did not get a chance. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I always like uh, uh, trying a pr- product or reading a book before I have the guest on. But yours certainly, um, uh, yours is certainly interesting, and and uh, I always like it when uh, we bring on board uh, new applications like this because uh, small business owners are not uh, pioneers, but they certainly like to know what's going on. Um, if if people wanted to reach you,
5: if they want to reach me, they can do so by emailing me at dmb at inky.com. That's D as in David, M as in Michael, B as in boy, at inky.com.
1: And if they want to see more about the product, it's inky.com.
5: That's right. We have a whole page on there about the features and links to all the downloads and links to the uh, iTunes store. And and we are actually working on a, a version of Inky targeted at small business people um, as a replacement to things like Outlook and Gmail that will start to give them additional tools to deal with in particular the the kind Kind of inbound mail that comes to addresses like sales at uh, example.com or info at example.com you know these role account addresses where different people in the company may be manning those inboxes and sharing the inboxes Uh, and so we're looking at ways to do this same kind of understanding technology on that kind of mail and then perhaps suggest particular replies to certain kinds of messages that are common uh and, and make it easier easier to categorize and move these very common kinds of inbound messages to roll accounts um into into folders and and what we call smart views
1: I really appreciate that you came on today um l- let me ask you a, a different question you spent 4 years uh, developing it um uh, uh what are some of the obstacles that you have encountered um, that you'd like to share with the with our audience? Well, Even a serial entrepreneur.
5: Yeah, an email. You know, email is really interesting because I kind of liken it to building a car. Most people don't think of cars as complicated. They don't think about cars having ten million parts. But if one part in the car doesn't work, they get very upset. Obviously. They just think about, I want my car to go from point A to point B and not give me problems. And And to some extent, they think about email the same way, but there's an enormous amount of hidden complexity behind something like email. So a huge challenge for us was just getting to parity with the other systems. In other words, creating that base platform that would do all the, for lack of a better word, all the mail stuff. And it's things like all the different foreign languages and character sets. It's things like displaying images properly, displaying the HTML mail properly. It's things like parsing the mail to make sure there's nothing dangerous in it. So, as you probably know, mail comes in a form that has arbitrary HTML-like web pages, and that can have what are things called cross-site scripting attacks and things that try to steal your personal information so the mail client has to strip that stuff out, and it's really important to do it right. So, so there are all these sub-problems that we have to understand and everything, everything about the area and then implement just before we're at parity with everybody else, and then we can start thinking about adding all the additional features. So that was a big, a big challenge for us. The other challenge is more psychological, and it's that my perception is that people are – so frustrated with email, the average person, that it's hard for them to imagine anything making it better. And so when I tell people to try Inky, sometimes it seems like they just don't want to try anything anymore, they've just given up on email. And so you know, that's sort of a challenge for us on a marketing, from a marketing standpoint, trying to get people to give it a shot and believe that it could be, there could be a better way and I'm not sure that I have the answer yet, but I identify that as a significant challenge in this particular space of development email.
1: Um, well, two questions. Can can you specify, like, anything that comes through and anything but English uh, is discarded?
5: You can't explicitly tell it that, but it does look at things like that. For example, if you've never received mail in Korean before, and read it, then that's a pretty strong feature. That's a strong signal that that's not a mail that's very relevant to you. So certainly things like the the character set used, which which means what kind of letters appear in it, what what language, that sort of thing. Uh, those are part of this ensemble of features that I mentioned that comprise the signal to the to the machine learning system or the computer program that tells tells it how relevant a message might be. And and that's one of the reasons why it can be pretty accurate, even though you might think intuitively, you know, what does the computer understand about your mail? You wouldn't think anything, right? But actually looking at features like what language is it in and how does that compare to other messages you've replied to is really a strong signal in some cases.
1: Well, the other question is how much does it cost?
5: It's actually free right now, so you can download IKI for free, and uh, we will have small business versions that we charge a monthly monthly subscription for. Um, as I said, we'll have tailored versions for small businesses, uh, and we'll always have some version that's free uh, for people to try for consumers. So the answer, really, if you want to just try it, is it's free.
1: Okay. Well, I definitely am going to try it, and I'm really glad you came on the program tonight. Uh, I look look forward to uh, talking to you um, sometime down the road so that we can find out how Inky went. Sounds great. I'd love to share uh, the
5: learnings from that and the experience. I'm sure we'll have some stories.
1: Uh, Come again, and thank you so much for being with us.
5: Absolutely. My pleasure, Don.
1: Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.